If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Hopeful Hints, hosted by Dr. Tara, guides and supports those on the often challenging and isolating journey of women's health concerns and infertility. There's a particularly powerful episode that you should check out called All Things Endometriosis, which dives deep into understanding the condition to help the many women who suffer from endometriosis and have no idea they have it, and healthcare providers who are uneducated about it, making the diagnosis process so difficult. Check out Hopeful Hints on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to another episode of the Nurse Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, Wendy Garvameo, and I am excited to be here with you today. In this episode, we are going to really recognize April to its fullest capacity. What do I mean by that? April is Stress Awareness Month. It is also National Minority Health Month. And we also recognize Black Maternal Health Week which was April 11th through April 17th. So I started thinking, what's the best way to capture April in a nutshell? And I decided that I'm going to share a personal story with you. This is a story that I haven't really unpacked and I haven't really talked about it. I believe I mentioned it a couple of years ago when I was doing a presentation on health disparities in African Americans, but I believe this is the right time right now, right here, to share my personal story with you. And the story I want to share with you is my birthing experience, because Black maternal health has been a problem in the United States, and that's why we have a week in April just to help amplify awareness of this issue around Black maternal health. This year, the theme was Our Bodies Belong to Us, Restoring Black Autonomy and Joy, which I think is such a wonderful theme. Because when we decide to have children, we are looking for joy. However, we have to have autonomy over our bodies in order to come out on the other side of the experience where we can experience the joy of motherhood. In the United States, approximately 700 women die as a result of pregnancy or complications from pregnancy. About one-third die during pregnancy, another third die during labor, and the remaining third die one week to one year in their postpartum period. The pregnancy mortality rate for Black women between ages 30 to 34 is four times higher than the rate for white women. And education does not even impact this statistic because 
pregnancy-related mortality for Black women who completed a college education or higher is 5.2 times higher than the rate for white women with the same educational attainment and 1.6 times higher than the rate for white women with less than a high school diploma. So regardless of the number of degrees you have, the number of initials you have after your name does not remove you from being a statistic. As long as you are a black woman in the United States, you are at higher risk for maternal mortality. And here's the kicker. Data found that more than eight out of 10, so 84% of pregnancy-related deaths are preventable. What are your thoughts on that? Let's look at infant mortality. Infant mortality is also higher in infants born to Black women. So let's start by defining what is infant mortality. This is death of an infant within the first year of life, but many cases occur within the first month after birth. And to go along with the high mortality rates in Black women, infants born to Black women are over twice as likely to die relative to those infants born to white women. Data also shows that fetal death or stillbirth, that's pregnancy loss after 20 weeks gestation, are common among Black women when compared to white and Hispanic women. These statistics highlight the health disparities among Black women who are trying to really start their family. And they're related to social and economic factors, as well as racism and discrimination. And that is structural and systemic. And we need to come together to do something about this. So I'm going to share my birthing experience because I believe it captures the entire month of April. Because my birthing experience was one of the most stressful times in my life. So let's start back in 2018. August 18th of 2018, that was the day my husband and I got married. Shortly after that, we started to plan our family and we got pregnant in December of 2018. And I remember just not feeling quite right and deciding to take a pregnancy test. It was early December, and I remember that because I was getting ready to leave for the ASH meeting. That is the American Society of Hematology meeting in San Diego. So I woke up super early. I remember because it was still dark outside and I was waking up early to get myself together so I can get to the airport. And I decided that morning, take the pregnancy test. So I did. And it was positive. And I remember going to wake up my husband to let him know that the test is positive. And we both just sat there, looked at each other. It was like, wow, very interesting. And I didn't know really how to feel. So we captured it in a picture. We have a picture holding the pregnancy test that says positive. And then I was on my way to finish packing and left for the airport. And I was still just wrestling with the emotions of, wow, I'm pregnant. I have life inside of me. I was excited, but just, I don't know. I I really didn't know. I couldn't really put words to the feeling. And of course, because in my mind, I'm saying, oh, I had a positive pregnancy test. Of course, you're feeling all the sensations in your belly, right? So went to this meeting in San Diego And I captured a couple of moments uh, during my meeting there. You know, I recorded myself just, you know, how I was feeling. 
um, my thoughts, because I, I wanted to capture the moment. And ultimately, I was excited. I was really excited, but I didn't want to tell too many people because it just happened. It just happened. But I knew going to that meeting, um, I had it to behave appropriately. What do I mean by that? So going out to dinner with co-workers, not having red wine, not, you know, staying out late, uh, trying to quote unquote eat healthy. And I remind you, I, I just found out I was pregnant, but all this is going through my head. And I recall going out to dinner with a couple of my um, my coworkers and Marjan Armoon, who uh, is my friend from uh, J&J, she called me out because she knows me. She knows I love red wine and I believe I ordered a ginger beer. And she said, why are you drinking ginger beer? Are you pregnant? And I just looked at her like, um, I don't think I said anything because I didn't tell anyone because again, it just happened and I was still processing all my emotions around it. Uh, but I do remember her calling me out across the table and we laugh about it now. While I was out in San Diego uh, trying to process all my emotions around being pregnant, I called my OBGYN and I told them that, you know, I took a pregnancy test. It was positive. And the first thing they said to me was, oh, we have to schedule you an appointment for a viability screening. And I'm like, oh, wow, that totally shifted my world because I was so happy about the thought of having life in me. And then I make a phone call and they tell me I have to have a viability appointment so to see if it's viable, to see if, yes, you're pregnant, but is it viable? Is this fetus um, alive? So that shifted my mood and I started stressing about that, like, oh my goodness, um, I'm pregnant, but it may not even be viable. So I may not even truly have a baby. I may not have a live fetus inside of me. So I stressed and I stressed about that because that word viable pregnancy kept uh, circulating in my head. So had my meeting and, you know, I moved from really excited and happy to stressed. So when I got back on the plane to head back home, I wasn't feeling so good. And I had moments where I would just cry because I'm just thinking like, this is something I wanted. It happened, but then we don't know if it's viable. And of course, the appointment is not early. They make you wait weeks uh, to see if, you know, your pregnancy is viable. So that wasn't good. So just fast forward, I return home and, you know, prepare for my viability appointment to see if my pregnancy is uh, viable. And I start recording again just to capture the moment, capture the feelings I was having about uh, waiting for this appointment. Then the day came, I went to the appointment. I believe the date was December 10th. That date sticks in my head. December 10th, I believe, was my appointment. And I have a recording of me outside of the office recording, you know, my thoughts before I entered the office. Um, and then I, I'm sitting in the office just waiting and, you know, viable pregnancy, viable pregnancy just kept circulating in my head and uh, had the ultrasound. And um, sure enough, I was, my pregnancy was viable. I was having a baby and I have the uh, video of, you know, the little fetus kicking his feet and, oh, it was such an amazing feeling to see, um, see him on the ultrasound machine and, 
uh, hear his heartbeat and um, just get confirmation that I am carrying life. I am definitely carrying life. So left that appointment really ecstatic and happy about uh, truly being pregnant, having a viable pregnancy. So I, you know, went home and of course told everyone and it was the greatest thing to tell my mom that I was having a baby because she has been wanting another grandchild for a very long time. Uh, Because I have four siblings, I'm the youngest of four, and I was the last one to actually have a child. So my mother always said, well, I want a child from you before I die. And I used to say, well, don't die soon. (laughs) It was our little joke. So when I told her I was pregnant, she was just ecstatic. Um, Just her voice and, you know, her facial expression was like just priceless to see the happiness on her face. So as time went on, I, you know, started planning for this child that I was carrying. And, um, you know, I got a black OBGYN doctor because statistics show if you have a black OBGYN, it decreases your risk for uh, complications or mortality uh, being a black woman. I also started to Um, say a prayer every night just for the safety of, um, you know, the birthing experience and, um, you know, just everything, just allowing us to um, not have any complications, allow us to go through labor and both of us uh, leave the hospital. And to be honest with you, to be totally honest and transparent, I could not visualize or envision myself giving birth to this child. I always thought about that. Um, Anything that I'm doing in life or anything I'm thinking about, I can always envision it in my mind and I can see it before it comes to pass. I can never envision me giving life to this child. I can never envision the birthing experience. So for me, that was a bit unsettling. And what I did with that is I started a journal for my unborn child just to write about things that I wanted him to know, things about his family, things about values. I have a journal full of notes that starts with, you know, dear son, Um And then I also started to say a prayer at night, every night, just praying for a safe delivery that will both leave the hospital. And I think not being able to envision the pregnancy, I felt like I was seeing my own mortality, if if that makes sense. Um, Just with all the statistics and everything with uh, Black maternal health in the high mortality rates in uh, Black women, in my mind, I wasn't able to envision it because it wasn't going to happen. I wasn't going to experience birthing my child. I wasn't going to experience motherhood. That's what I sat with um, in my subconscious and conscious mind. So that was my conclusion of that. So very unsettling, but I 
wanted to leave something for my son just in case that happened. And that was that journal that I still have to this day. And um, I said my prayers because that was in my control. And also what was in my control is having a black OBGYN. So I left it at that. And I did have a conversation with my husband one day and I asked if he had to make a choice between the baby and I like which way would he go? I felt like it was a discussion we we should have. And he said that he would um, choose me because we can always have a child. And I said, I want you to choose the baby. I don't want you to choose me. I want you to choose the child instead of me. And um, that was that and kind of left it there and never talked about it again. And he did not agree um, or disagree. I just told him my wishes and uh, we went on about our business. So we celebrated um, like any other pregnant couple. We had the baby shower. We had the gender reveal and the gender reveal was so special. Uh, We actually uh, had his sister um, his cousin and God's sister do the gender reveal with t-shirts. They had t-shirts with his ultrasound picture on it and they, you know, took their jackets off and we saw that it was a boy. So that was amazing. I still remember that moment. I was so ecstatic because I said I wanted a son. Um, of course, I would take a daughter too, but I, I wanted a son. But um, that was such an amazing experience with our family and our friends all around. And, you know, the best thing about um, the pregnancy was just the happiness it brought to our families. Everyone was just so excited and happy for us that we were bringing life into the world. That was just the best because even though we were really happy and ecstatic, um, just seeing the happiness in our friends and family just it was so heartwarming that everyone was like rooting for us to to be parents. So it was great. It was really great. It was a great experience. And I enjoyed being pregnant, um, you know, watching my belly grow, watching my body transform. Um, of course, later in the pregnancy, it was it was tough. It was really tough to um, sleep. I, I could not get comfortable. Um, I even convinced my husband to buy us a adjustable bed (laughs) because (laughs) I thought that would help. And and what I said is that, you know, well, when the baby comes home, I can breastfeed and it'll be easier, you know, when uh, you're breastfeeding and, you know, you can put the head of the bed up because I was sleeping in the recliner. I just couldn't get comfortable. And then it happened. It happened on July 9th, early in the morning. It was probably like, two or 3 a.m. in the morning, it happened. I woke up and I was wet and I thought I had an accident and I got up, went to the bathroom. I was going to go change myself and it just kept coming. My water broke. My water broke and um, I was in labor. And uh, I went and woke up my husband and said, I think it's time. I think it's time my water broke. And at the same time, you know, it, it's still 
coming down. Uh, we woke my mom up, who was here, of course, later on in the pregnancy. Um, I always wanted my mom to be here um, throughout the experience. So she came and stayed with us um, later on in the pregnancy. So she would be there for that moment. So we woke her up and, you know, we called the doctor and got to the hospital. And throughout the whole time, I'm just like in anticipation because I'm just waiting for the contractions to come. And no contractions, just, you know, just very wet from the water breaking and, you know, changing and, and all of that. But um, no, no contractions, fairly comfortable. But I was just anticipating that I am going to have severe pain. But we got to the hospital, got changed. Everyone was so nice. Um, then they transferred us to the labor and delivery room. And again, we're all just there, just hanging out. And, you know, they're monitoring the baby. They're monitoring me. I remember one of the nurses who was taking care of me, a younger woman with uh, long, dark hair, very aggressive, kind of loud. And she came in and said, how are you feeling? I said, oh, I feel great. And she said, not for long. And I thought that was like the rudest insensitive thing you could actually say. Following that, the doctors came in and said they wanted to start Pitocin to, you know, speed up the pregnancy. And oh my goodness. <laughs> when they started that Pitocin, the whole experience changed. I never, ever felt pain like that before. Um, and uh, it, it was... Yeah, it was um it was a lot. It was a lot. I remember one time um having a contraction. I was standing at the bottom of the bed and the contractions had me on my toes, literally on my toes. I've never felt anything like that before. Um and my husband and I have this joke because when we were going into the hospital, I said, you know, when I'm in pain or uncomfortable, just remind me that you are a strong black woman. You are a strong black woman. <laughs> and he was saying that. I said, no, I'm not a strong black woman. I am not a strong black woman. I need the epidural. So uh, we did. We got the epidural. And uh, I still don't remember being very comfortable with the epidural. I don't know if it was in wrong or what was happening, but I don't recall being comfortable throughout the whole thing. It was quite an experience and, you know, I was happy because my OBGYN was on uh, that night with her residents and, you know, they were checking me and then things started going downhill. Um, they were monitoring the baby internally because they said he was in a little distress. They added additional saline because they said my water broke too many hours ago. So the baby needed additional protection. So um, with that, uh, you know, just a, a lot of things going on. And I had a fever. I had a fever of 103. I was um, just not feeling well. And then came the moment when they said, it's time to push. And I kept saying that I can't, I can't push. He was in distress because they're, they're on the monitor. There were so many people in the room. They escorted my mom and my mother-in-law out. And um, it was just a lot going on. And they're telling me to push. They got my legs back and I'm saying, I can't push. 
I can't push it in there talking to me. In my mind, they're yelling at me. Um, Just a lot of chaos going on. Someone's monitoring him and saying, uh, oh, we need to stop because the baby's in distress and and this and that. And so much chaos was going on. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is not going to end well. And I just kept saying, I can't push. I can't push. I can't push. And anytime I try to push, something else was happening because they said, no, don't push, don't push. And all I remember, I don't know how long this was going on for. And everyone was there, all the nurses, my uh, black OBGYN doctor was there. And I remember someone coming into the room and yelling, stop, stop is what I remember. And she said, we are taking her to the OR. And even just saying that right now, I have chills. And they got me ready to go to the OR. I was feeling terrible. I was feeling terrible. But we got to the OR. And I remember telling my husband, don't let me go to sleep. Don't let me go to sleep. I felt like if I went to sleep, I would not wake up. And I was just saying, don't let me go to sleep. I just kept repeating that over and over again. Don't let me go to sleep. And they had me in the OR. Uh, The baby, they said the baby's out. However, the baby was not crying. So I kept saying, what's wrong? What's wrong? No one was answering me. Um, And then the nurse came over and said, they're just working on him a little bit. And she brought him over and, you know, we, we got to see him, but he wasn't breathing. He wasn't breathing when he was born. Um, I was, I was just, I don't know. I was out of my mind. I was just so scared um, that he wasn't breathing. I wasn't feeling well. And I just kept saying, don't let me go to sleep. Don't let me go to sleep. Um, And then I heard the cry. I heard him cry and what a sign of relief. And uh, so after everything was done, they, you know, was wheeling me out and I'm telling my husband to go with the baby and he didn't know what to do. Go with me, go with the baby. And the nurse instructed him to come with me because he's going to take the baby to the NICU and get him all squared away so we can come and see him. Um, We went back to the room and I don't know, I can't really recall what happened when we went back to the room, but I still wasn't feeling well. Um, then I got transferred to the floor, the labor and delivery unit. And, um, you know, they gave me antibiotics and all the other medications. Um, and I still wasn't feeling quite well. And I did not see the baby that day. Uh, I believe it was daytime. Uh, that was July 10th. He was born in the morning. I believe I went over to see him that night in the NICU for the first time. And uh, that was our first time being united. And I was able to hold him and and try to breastfeed him. He was so tiny, oh, so tiny. And all his grandparents came in, they were able to see him. And it was, um, it was great. It was great. Even now to this day, I'm so thankful for the OBGYN who came in and yelled stop, who I just believe saved our lives. Um, 
on that morning of July 10th. And the person who came in to say stop was a white doctor who is a DO, not an MD, but she came in and she saved our lives. I truly believe if she did not come in, and I believe she was coming on to her shift that morning, and I was going to be on her case, and she happened to come into the room and saw the chaos that was going on. And I believe if she did not come into that room and command the room to stop, I don't know if my son and I would be here today. So I really am just grateful that um, she came in and took charge, took charge of what was going on. And uh, we had a safe delivery. Despite the having a safe delivery, the whole experience was very traumatic. And because of my experience, I have made the decision not to have any more children my OBGYN said, you know, you can have more children, we'll schedule a cesarean, but I just don't want to chance it or have to go through that experience again because I don't know what the outcome will be next time. I'm grateful for one and our son being born on July 10th of 2019 is very special to our family because his maternal great-grandmother was born on July 10th, and his paternal great-grandmother passed away on July 10th. And now I say that when he was born, he went to go see his paternal great-grandmother, and his maternal great-grandmother brought him back to life. So now he is here. He's such a joy, and I'm just so grateful. Now, my experience, unfortunately, is not unique. I'm aware of many African-American healthcare professionals who have had similar or more severe experiences during childbirth. So the moral of this story is, is that we have to listen to our patients. They know best. Patients know best. If they say I can't or something's going on, listen to them. And for patients out there, advocate for yourself. And if you can't advocate for yourself, have someone who can advocate for you. If I can do it over again, I probably would have had a midwife and or a doula who could have been there to advocate for me. Because even though my husband was there, he doesn't have any experience with healthcare and, and what was going on. So I don't think he knew how to truly advocate for me. So self-advocacy or having someone to advocate for you is just so important when you enter the healthcare system. So that's my story. I wanted to share it with you uh, at this time. And I hope that um, it helps someone. If you have a story, I would love to hear it please uh, send me an email. I would love to possibly bring you on and we can really discuss it because it's a problem. It's an ongoing problem. We need to do better. We need to ensure that minority women can have a successful birthing experience and leave the hospital holding their child, opposed to leaving the hospital empty-handed or a child leaving the hospital without their mother. With that, 
Take care of yourself, and I'll see you in the next episode. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend. Before you go, I would love to share a free stress management resource with you. Go to stressblueprint.com and download your free copy of the three questions to ask when you are stressed. Until next time, go out and be your best, do your best, and give your best. If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Hopeful Hints, hosted by Dr. Tara, guides and supports those on the often challenging and isolating journey of women's health concerns and infertility. There's a particularly powerful episode that you should check out called All Things Endometriosis, which dives deep into understanding the condition to help the many women who suffer from endometriosis and have no idea they have it and healthcare providers who are uneducated about it, making the diagnosis process so difficult. Check out Hopeful Hints on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.